another pot of coffee is brewing, my fifth cup is almost finished. So that means it's time for Not Before Coffee, a special edition. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, film addict, hermit, long-term depression sufferer, and very honest caffeine fiend. As I said earlier this week in my 18th episode, I can't believe it's been 18 weeks, this week is a special one in that I had a guest on talking about their book, Compliance, and that was Sam Hurley from Movie Reviews in 20Q. See, Sam, I can get the title right. And here be spoilers. That's all I need to say. Enjoy. What do you? He's uh, gonna. We're gonna now veer into spoiler. Yay! Oh. <laughs> so we can. We're free for I'm all. I'm so relieved. I'm so relieved. How did you come up with the idea for him? Oh, okay. So, <laughs> now that I can. You know who I now mean. Now I can talk freely. Um, there is a line in the Matrix in which they talk about how humanity is like a virus, and I I always used to think that like it's a it's a long saying. And it's, Isn't it Mr. Smith who says it? Yeah, it's it's not new sort of thing. Agent Smith, yeah. And I liked the idea of like, okay, imagine if we would like for uh, humans looking down. I talk about this in this book. Uh, for humans looking down at the Earth would be like scientists looking down and seeing a vaccine, like seeing a virus and thinking uh, very topical in this year and all that sort of stuff. But we're looking down and seeing this virus, and this virus has no idea what it's doing. It has no idea what it's doing. It's just being a virus. It doesn't, you know, have any relation to the idea that it might kill its host or, like, the world around it or any of that sort of stuff. It's got no idea about that. And so, like, the idea that, like, we'd look down and there's certain ways and elements we can influence it and try and prevent it and we can, you know, like, vaccinations and all that sort of stuff uh, to try and stop this virus. Then I, I imagined, well, what if that was, like, the same with God? Like, what if God had created this universe and he was looking down on Earth going, oh, crap, they're going to destroy everything. What do, how do I stop them? And so I like that idea that, you know, that humans itself could be the science experiment because we have a lot to do with, vac- like, as Agent Smith said, humans are like a virus. We destroy, we consume, we don't really pay any regard to our Earth. As, as global warming will attest, as, you know, like, famine, as droughts and everything like that, we just don't seem to care. You know, corporations are the soulless beings that don't care or have morals or ethics that don't really care. As much as they're saying, you know, we're doing good for the environment, it's just like, yeah, but you're completely destroying it. So I like the idea that there might be someone looking down on our earth and going, okay, what do we do to try and stop these people? To stop them creating something, which in the book is... Uantium is the word I came up for it, but it's creating this all like this potential weapon of mass destruction that it's not just a mass destruction, it's just going to destroy literally everything. And so I thought to myself, that would make an interesting book. That's where the idea came from. And the characters. You said already, you said that you created the characters in some element from people that you had met and other, and sort of yourself yes. in many ways. But when you created these characters with those specific characteristics and those roles, did you pick the role and their characteristics together or did you pick their characteristics and then say, well, actually that person would be perfect for that? Yeah, yeah. There was a, there was an aspect to it where I was like, okay, um, like 
this is what I hate about Ready Player One or like other similar ilk books um, and movies where they take these people that have no, like like you said, Mary Sue's like they have like they just have to have all these abilities purely because they don't. You know what I mean? Like you take some kid who's never done martial arts in his life, he gets trained for six months, and then he's beating up people that have done it for 10, 20 years, and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. You're talking. In a way, you're saying Bella in Twilight and Danny LaRusso in The Crown. Exactly. Kid. Like, it legitimately makes no sense. It's like this whole idea and this false sense of hope that you can just take these people and get them to do stuff. And so when I started creating these characters, I wanted it to be like, okay, they're former South African army who have been doing mercenary contracts. So they'd be really good at guns. Like, that makes sense. With Anika, I was like, okay, you're going to need a character that knows heaps of different languages. And I thought to myself, okay, well we'll make her a linguistics expert but it would make no sense if anika started was a linguistic expert who basically starts kicking down the door of the building and shooting up people with machine guns and stuff like that like it doesn't make any sense no. so i was like <laughs> trying to create this like level of um yeah it's just like a, a level of believability and for anika it was like it was it was like she's the smartest person in the book basically so i wanted that to be conveyed very early is that she's even though she's young and naive she's also like an incredible language genius and there's there's people I've met like that that like legitimately, um like, like I've got a, like friends that can pick up a book and read it within five minutes and stuff like that and I've got other mates that are just like just once they find their passion they are incredibly good at it and they just just do it and you know some some friends are musicians that will like listen to a piece of music once and then they can play the entire song, uh you know there's so I wanted her to be that character so that even though she is kind of young and naive at the same time she's very well focused and um you know knows what she's doing when it comes to that sort of aspect then for lena i was like well how like lena immediately became swiss when i realized that because she turns into a badass at one scene but i but the swiss are forced to be in the swiss army from 18 to 20 and they learn how to use guns and so they know how to use guns so that makes sense and yeah so that's where she came from so there was a lot of like characteristics and uh, yeah I did like a lot of like abilities and ideas and notions that sort of just melded themselves together quite nicely I guess is the best way to describe it I was going to say Lena was the one character that I she, she didn't seem to meld with everybody else initially yeah. she was the one that was a different recruit almost she was I felt yeah so she uh, as I was talking about the spectrum sort of thing, I wanted Lena to be the one that from the second she found out about everything, she was already in. And there was almost like a level of arrogance to her where she was like almost above the others. So she was almost like a step down from Kate and Nathan, but a step above all the others. And I wanted her to have that role because she becomes crucial. Uh, as you said, you haven't read the end, but she comes crucial to something that happens at the end of the book. And I wanted there to be a level of... Um, disassociation i guess is the best way to describe it with her so that when the stuff happens to her at the end of the book you don't get too heartbroken because there it's it's hard to write a book in which characters die and you're sitting there going oh man i don't want them to die so there was almost like i was like pummeling that into her where i was like i don't want her to become this amazing badass i don't want to be like ripley at the end of aliens <laughs> and then turn around and die because yeah. no one wants that no one wants to see that so that's the thing that you made her in a way, you made her less human in some ways because you made her HR. Yes. It sounds weird. <laughs> but HR is probably the worst department. When oh, I'm so sorry to anybody who works in HR. But in my experience, HR has to switch off a lot of emotion. Yes. I'm glad. They're the one department that has to because they deal with the human side of things all the time. 
So they kind of switch off that element of themselves. Yeah. So they don't, when they make somebody redu- um, redundant or fire them, they're not sitting there crying their eyes out. I'm so glad you picked up on it. That is exactly, that was a conscious choice to make her an HR manager. Because I thought to myself, how could I make her part of this company that she knows all about this company? She knows how to get into the computer system. She knows how it functions, how it works, everything that's happened. But at the same time, I was, I didn't want her to be another scientist or something like that, where she might potentially have information that would make her a threat to the world, you know, that she could replicate it. So I wanted her to be in the company at a higher level, at a higher management level, but at the same time have a very, like you leave your personality at the door of HR. You're right. Like you, you have to leave your personality at the door and that bleeds into your private life as well. And I wanted her to be like that. So when Aiton shows up, comes at her in a sympathetic way that she might understand because he shows up and pretends like he's sort of old and injured and similar to what her grandmother was like just before she died. So she almost lets her guard down a bit. And then she's also incredibly passionate, like incredibly passionate about everything. And so when he starts talking to her, she's the easiest one to win over, you know, and he'd tried it. And and as as the book discovers, you know, this earth has been a science experiment and it's gone wrong and Aiton's tried to influence it and tried to, maneuver his way around it and influence everything that happens and so he's tried it before he's tried speaking to ryan directly and going hey this is who i am this is what i do and ryan flipped out and left whereas he i think he's realized that that character type of ryan which is sort of like shy and you know lacking confidence and doesn't really work whereas you take a confident woman and uh it's similar to being hypnotist it's, it's i mean hypnotized it's all the people that are like there's no way you could hypnotize me they're the easiest people to hypnotize so you take lena who's like incredibly passionate she's like yeah I, I, i'm gonna do whatever i want i blah 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 they're the easiest people to go hey you know how you're like strong-willed and confident hey by the way this and they're gonna go okay cool we need to stop it so she was the easy yeah. that's the thing she it seems like she'd already had doubts yes, though, she did. Yep, before yep because of that confrontation that she has with the directors and everything else it's she is very very strong-willed but at the same time there is that detachment because she is hr and it sounds so horrible saying that about <laughs> anybody who works in hr but in my experience a manager who directly works with you has far more connection than an hr department who is looking after thousands of people yeah. I I feel like I poured some of that like renegade anarchist that I had when I was a teenager into her. You know, she she talks about her experiences with a Jewish grandmother and everything that happened and how she watched watched the Nazis profit off um you know off World War Two and send all their money to Swiss banks and she's seen all of that and so I, I tied a couple of like sort of very loosely tied a couple of real world examples into her character so that when she gets confronted by okay. You think you've been working for an, a philanthropic uh, organization and you think that these people are doing good stuff around the world and that sort of stuff. It's a lie. It's not. So when she finds that out, when she goes, oh, hang on, we, we're the bad guys, she's immediately into it. Like, she's immediately like, no, these are the people I do not want to be working for. And Because she was angry at the Swiss for profit. She was, absolutely. That yeah, was the yeah, thing, yeah. wasn't it? And so she... Yeah, she was the one... She was the easiest one for me to create a motivation for to the point where I... Like early on, the book actually had about, maybe not a hundred, but that's the way my wife would describe it. It had about a hundred more chapters where a lot of the chapters were broken up. And then my wife basically said, no, we need to make this a bit more easy for the reader to understand. So merge them all together. And she was the one that I was like, I've sort of nailed this in one chapter. I don't need to explore more of her identity of why she'd be motivated for these people. You've already established that she like clearly doesn't want to be working doesn't want to be working for a company that's evil and so she already automatically thinks they are evil and so when Aiton approaches and go yes they are she's like oh cool 
And then when Aiden goes, oh, by the way, I'm an alien and um, this whole works as a science experiment and all that sort of stuff, he like lets on enough for her to go, wow, I'm, I'm on the inside. I'm, you know, being rewarded and I feel... Like I know more than other people, and again, similar to HR, it's like yeah, we know how this company runs. Like anybody that works for us, we know how it really runs. You know, yeah. We know all your secrets. exactly. We're a step down from basically owning this company, but we're a step above everyone that actually does work for this company. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it's that element of superiority that I found so easy to identify yeah. in yep. her, because she was very much I know. And it was that conversation where she said, oh, well, they know. And of course, I know as well, because she was she understood the whole the company is evil before everybody else was let in on the secret. I felt sorry for Damien in that point because they were keeping it so far away from him. Yeah. So he, in a lot of ways, was the opposite of Lena. So he was also like incredibly passionate about everything. But at the same time, it was like a, a bubbling under the surface in terms of having put up with Euston all of his shit for so so long. And, you know, and it, he gets to a point where he's just like, okay, I've had enough, you know, and that is basically what the book was sort of exploring was the idea of getting to that point of where he just snaps and does what he does at the end of the book. Now, the big question is, did Aiden have all that planned? And the answer is yes. <laughs> so he knew so much. It was that whole thing with Olga and her parents my immediate thought when he said, oh, we can do this and we can do that, but I can't do that. And it's like, well, hang on a sec. If you can do that, why can't you do yeah. that? And it felt like that was his manipulation. Yeah. I can sort this for you if you do this for exactly. me. Exactly. But I'm not going to tell you exactly what this is yet. Yeah. That's exactly it. He is basically trying to manipulate everybody into doing what he's doing, but he's doing it in such a way that it's like, uh, it's... Yeah, it's your decision and you're coming to that conclusion. It just seems like a logical conclusion. And that's the idea of like Aiton as a character is just like, okay, you're going to do this now because, you know, you need money or you need to get out of this country because you don't want to be prosecuted by the FSB or whatever. You know, it's just it's just making sense of a like a incredibly horrible situation, basically. Yeah, he is enabling them in some way. Yeah. So here's, <laughs> here's a massive spoiler. Um, the... <laughs> The word compliance obviously is a spoiler because it is Aiton trying to bring them in and, you know, like get them to do what he's doing. Uh, compliance in physics actually means the property of a material undergoing elastic deformation or a change in volume when, a subject is, when subjected to an applied force is equal to the reciprocal of stiffness. So in a lot of ways, this is a science experiment where he's manipulating it and getting things to f- move around and be forced into positions they don't want to be in. So, yeah, there's that as well. <laughs> You see, John is the one for me that made me doubt Aiton's character. Yep, yep. Where he's doing all that stuff with the drug dealer. Yes. It, I know it sounds weird, but that was the point where I sat there going, hmm, he's manipulating this situation. Hang on, how's he there? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> really? Because the, the, at the beginning, it jumps around so much from different locations that you're thinking what the time sp- what the time span is but then you're aware of the time span because you keep yes. putting the dates at yep. the top and was that an intentional almost a guide it, to show hang on a second this is how it's possible yeah absolutely so all the times actually match up so if you take into a time account you know like the time zones and stuff like that it actually it does match up at the same time yeah that was the idea of creating this like it's it's staring you in the face it's making you go this doesn't make sense like how 
how could he travel the world this fast? Does he have a supersonic jet? Does he is he uh, is some is he Wonder Woman? In yeah, exactly. That was that was the other thing. Because uh, the number of my friends that have messaged me while reading it and gone. Is he a time traveler? I'm like, I'm not answering this. Is he an alien that can has got a spaceship traveling around the world? No. Is he a superhero? No. Can he teleport? No. You know, there's all of these, all these different ideas that kept coming through, and I, I just liked the idea that, uh, similar to the vaccine and uh, the virus analogy, is like we can look down on it, and in terms of affecting real change, we have to try and introduce something and manipulate something and change something. And I like the idea that if he was like infinitely larger than us and he was looking down on something he couldn't just beam himself down or use technology for that but you could man- easily manipulate sound and light because they're, they're waves and you can manipulate light waves and sound waves and so you could create as you discover in the book you know early on you could create a flaming bush by mistake or you could create a um, something that has the body of a human but the head of a lion you could create all these mystical elements that get introduced where you're furiously trying to work out like similar to trying to create an early cure for diseases you're creating all these like misfires that you're trying to introduce to the earth to try to manipulate it to try and stop them from creating this weapon of mass destruction and i like the idea that like by the time we get to our time he's so good at creating essentially what looks like a human and he can manipulate the noise and sound and light and he's in that scene in the big reveal you know he shows a giant thing outside and it's like it's just showing off at that point it's like saying showing like look how well our science has got now that we can do this we can influence ourselves on such a level that you know it's imperceptible to the naked eye whereas like previously you know he had to be a burning bush he had to be um you know like hindu gods he has to be these different things so yeah me the big reveal wasn't so much him showing all that other stuff it was the um something going straight through yes yeah and it was like Ooh, yes that's interesting and then the big reveal and it's like oh my god i was right <laughs> but how how was i right <laughs> and it's, it's it's amazing so the like in terms of the layeredness and easter eggs that are put in to the start of the book like obviously he's traveling the world at you know, an, an impossible rate of knots, basically. And so you can realize then that it's like something's not right. But as, as you go back through that earlier part of the book, you know, there's a bit where John gets manhandled by the drug dealer and then puts his hand out for Aiton to lift him up and Aiton just stands there and does nothing. And it's just like, why isn't he offering his hand? And then even in John's flat, there's a bit where Aiton gets up to leave the room and there's a flash of light outside and John gets distracted by it and turns around. And that's just Aiton creating light outside so that he could pass through a door without John seeing him. And so and even in hindsight, I was realized, well, he can manipulate it so it looks like the door opens and stuff like that. But I was like, no, nah, I'm going to keep it a little bit more subtle than that. I enjoyed it so much. And I like, I'm, I'm a big reader and I don't read masses and masses of science fiction or anything like that. I'm, uh, she says, I've got good omens <laughs> on my desk. <laughs> I'm reading, this is the second time in about three months oh, i've wow. read it because i like it that much i i love it and i got good i got american gods finally finding a, co- a book with that cup co- with the original cover on it is no yeah. impossible but my sister found a copy and i got it for christmas so that's my next oh book. i love american <laughs> gods that's a good book yeah yeah but i love books that make you think yeah and this one does because it's not straightforward really really easy there is so much there is so much logic in it yeah but you have to think about it rather than just carry on reading. And though sometimes you do like reading an easy book, I like reading something that makes you really pause. Yeah. And 
contemplate well actually that does kind of make sense it's sort of like the game at the end of the original men in black yeah film with the pool the pool table that's right yeah 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 yeah. and they're playing pool with the earth yeah yeah exactly yeah. and they're all what is it? Oh, well, the universe pool yeah. or marbles and you just think well hang on are we really yeah it's the questions that you were asking after the original matrix yeah absolutely yep yeah do we really exist are we a science experiment are we being observed by some great something or other yeah. a being a species something <laughs> and i like that I don't, I don't see anything. Uh, I don't see anything that would make you potentially doubt that this could be true. Yeah, yeah. In some way. Yeah. So, did you speak to when you were writing this? Did you speak with people to get information, or did you just do stacks of internet research? Stats of internet research. Yep. So, um, as I said, like the the language that the South Africans use is based on experience with those sorts of people. But when it comes to like traveling the world, like I lived in West London, so I know Hammersmith very easy. So that was very easy to write about. And <laughs> um, and then. Like I've been to Paris, I've spent a bit of time in Paris, I've never been to Marseille and I've never been to Geneva, so that basically turned into Google Street View, trying to work out these environments and streets and places where they live. And then, yeah, the most of the, most of the rest of it was just internet research, all my own like knowledge of religious history. So like when it gets revealed that Aiton has created all these different religions, and like it is a way of trying to, and I mean, it sounds like I'm making mockery of religion, but in a way to try and stop scientific growth, and for humans to go, hang on, you know, like we can love each other and we can be happy and free and we don't need science that much. We don't need to create something that could potentially, like, as we see, it's their motivation to, to have something more powerful than nuclear bombs. It's like, we don't need anything more powerful than that. We can just be, like, happy and free. Uh, so I did, like, a little bit of research into different types of religion. And here's a spoiler, but, uh, well, I mean, we were talking about spoilers anyway. Uh, we are. If you Google the name Aten, there was an old Egyptian religion called Atenism that basically worshipped a god called Aten, and but they didn't really see him as a god. They saw him as a bright light in the sky that created the universe. So I actually, I actually have a cousin called Aten. Oh really? Oh wow. Yes. <laughs> Damn <laughs> he it. Was born in he was born in Israel. Um. <laughs> oh, there you go. So yeah, that was it was um yeah oh, okay. Well then you might have already had a bit of a clue as to what was going on. <laughs> Well, I did say I kind of guessed. <laughs> yeah. There, there but are... that was more because of certain things in it. And also when I looked back on that conversation we mentioned about religion, yeah. it was kind of like, mm, that actually now makes so much more sense. Yes. But when you talk about the nuclear bombs thing, they, they talk about, well, we've got nuclear weapons and they haven't used them in so many years. It's like, yeah, yeah but if you have something more powerful, you need to test it. Exactly. And there is that intrinsic need to test it. Yeah, it's human nature to be curious, which yes. is great. But there are certain things you probably shouldn't be that curious about. Absolutely, and that was another thing that, like, quite a few people that have read it have commented to me was they like the idea that humans are just so dumb that it's like if we if we, <laughs> we we have to test something, you know, it's like, and there's so many different scientific experiments. Like, I can't remember who it was, but I remember reading one about how like a, this guy wanted to know if the cure was going to work. So he gave himself diphtheria or something like that. Like he, yeah. No, yeah, I've read about that. Like knowingly made themselves sick in order to try and treat as, you know, use his treatment. And I just love that idea. I love the idea that humans are so stupid that we're like, 
well, let's just see if this works. And it's like, oh, I didn't, but, you know, killed off half my family. Oh, well, let's try and see if this works, you know. <laughs> That's the thing. I think somebody did that with smallpox. Yeah, maybe it was smallpox, yeah. They gave a child smallpox or cowpox or something yeah. to test out the cure. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. That's why right. would you yeah. do that? It's just mean to lay. That's one of the things that came across in this book. There were so many, all these characters come together for a for one goal. Yep. They've all got different motivations. They're all being given different, in a way, they're being given different stories to start with. Then they're all told everything. And I still come back to the, why weren't they telling Damien? It was as though Aiton knew that he wasn't going to be in on it so much because he already had doubts. Yes. Did he have faith doubts or doubts about the mission? It- it was totally doubts about the mission. I, I feel like Eustace is obviously so in love with Kate Delacroix that he's like, there's no way that, it, it, you know, even when Eustace goes through his very horrible moments at the nightclub and oh, basically turns into a that night That nightclub scene was a, a scene that's familiar to most women who've been in a nightclub, to be fair. Yes, yeah. I wanted to create uh, like a... Because there was a part of me that was like, okay, well, what if I make it so that he's... You know, like, because Eustace and Damien didn't have a massive falling out after the reveal. And I wanted it to, ma- I wanted to make sure that Eustace was so into it by that point that, you know, like, not only is he in love with Kate Delacroix, but because he's gone through what he's doing, he feels like he's trying to make it up to these people. So he's like fully in, like fully, fully in. So yeah. that's what, what's, that's why that night scene was created. But with the Damien, it was, it was sort of a feeling of, well, He's already having doubts about being used to start with. Like, why would you go ahead with something like this? You know, like he's, you can almost tell that he's sort of gotten to the point now where he's like, I just want to get out of this life. I just can't be bothered with this. Like, maybe I don't know anything different, but who cares? Maybe I can get out of here and try something new. And so when Anika shows up, he almost sees that as a character and her as a character as well. It's just like, she seems so out of place that he's like instinctively flocks to her and creates this sort of white knighting syndrome of like, I need to protect her and look after her, you know, finds her crying yeah. and, and and he's like, oh, I need to take care of her. And so that's what keeps him there. But then I was like, that's not enough. Like, I, I feel like if that character is true to that character, there's no way that he'd hang around, you know? And I was like, like ultimately, as we see in the book, like they were going to have longer and, you know, like as time went on, Aiton probably thought he could have worn him down and got to a point where he would have, accepted what he was in or what he was doing like maybe would have formed a relationship with anika but because the time frame gets sped up by two like to be basically two weeks from when that started he's like oh crap but now we just have to tell him we just have to tell him and see what happens but the thing about Aiton is again this is all a science experiment so he knows what's going to happen he potentially knows that damien's going to leave there's going to be a fight between him and used and he's going to have to send stefan with him to escort him to the premises and they're going to have to do what they do and he he sort of knows and in a way he's basically calculated the chances of risk of what's actually going to happen and what he stands the most benefit from with Damien and so as you see throughout the book Aiton's always been very careful in what he says to people and when he says it and it's like it's some of their most like pointed moments like there's even a scene early on where he meets Damien outside a nightclub in Paris and he like basically says now's not the time like he knows now that like they're becoming more susceptible and drunk and all that sort of stuff and they could potentially be manipulated but he knows that won't be the time he needs to start doing it through the same channels that he you know they've done all their other jobs through so he starts like basically preying on that and i also i wanted i was like it doesn't make any sense that after this conversation that at least one of them wouldn't leave 
And I was like, the one that makes the most sense would be Damien. Like, he's the one that would be like, I'm getting the hell out of here. I don't need this. You know, why, why, why should I be here? So, yeah. That's the thing. I mean, very, very early on, it was quite clear that he was fed up with use and he was unhappy with the lifestyle i mean he'd been picking use up for ages yeah from his drunken binges and everything else and he was it seemed like he was tired and he was also from the start when he goes and he's like oh you're going to be teaching them how to use guns it's like why do they need to use a gun <laughs> exactly exactly yeah it had to be yeah it had to be a level of believability yeah yeah and use was so easily manipulated it was that one line where he's she's saying kate is saying no i don't want him back in my house and aiden's telling her that he is going to be in because he's so enamored of you yeah he was so easy to manipulate because i mean everything had gone wrong for him yeah but he was almost thriving on that yeah 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 like as i describe in the book it's in the moments of peril and like in the moments of drama and stuff that's when he thrives it's that's when he becomes the person that he becomes and that's what makes him perfect for at the end where it's like you need to go into a building blow it up and kill these people he's like yep sweet cool you know fine whatever yeah yeah. (laughs) you need that whereas like with the others it's like you guys need to do that it's like oh i don't know maybe but you need just him this big dumb idiot who's like just thrives on drama and like just base level humanity in a lot of ways but yeah it was kind of like the hesitation in the first scene though because there is that where you're gonna have to kill them and you're thinking oh god why is he gonna have to kill them yeah yeah and everybody else has died and it's like oh shit (laughs) (laughs) exactly and it's 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 funny because you know we talk about I mean, I, I talk about this in the book is like, if you know that's what's happened to the group beforehand, would you still go through with it? And yeah, it's, see, exactly. That was my question. It's like, but especially Olga, she's so aware of everything that went on. Yeah, yeah. Because she knew somebody and you're thinking, why are you doing this? But he put her in such a situation. It was almost as though he was threatening her with the consequences. Yeah. If she didn't go along with what he said. Yeah, she, for me, feels like she's just desperately clinging to find some sense of normalcy in all of this. And so that's why she becomes immediately trusting of Lena. And then Lena, obviously, is just sort of like, eh, I know more than you. I'm going to be a dick to you sort of thing. And then she... Be- oh, she is, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, she is. <laughs> like, she is. Like, totally is. And then she becomes really trusting of Ryan as well. And obviously, that was... Uh, like, I love subverting expectations. I know George R. R. Martin is, like, the king of this. At the same time, I love subverting expectations. So I love the idea of, like, oh, Ryan and Olga, they're going to hook up. And, oh, look, they're kissing. And then they're like, nah, they're nothing. I was like, mm. I, I wanted it to be real. I wanted it to, like, rather than, like, you know, these star, two star-crossed lovers that come together and then they, you know, help each other. I was like, nah, screw that. I don't want that. I want this to be, like, real. Like, you know, if somebody, if like, we, we know what Olga's like. If, we've already seen that with Lena. Lena lied to her and she was real pissed off at her. It was like if Ryan lied to her and, you know, like, because she is the one that is desperately trying to find some answer to why they're there and what they're doing and what's going to happen next yeah and so and with ryan knowing you know a, a certain level of knowing uh and not revealing it to her i was like man that would that would gut her like that would absolutely destroy her so like like she says to him before the you know like whatever was there was there but i i can't think about that anymore i just need to think about how to get through this and then you know see what happens in the future type thing and i was like yeah that's a refreshing end yeah Ryan seemed to me to be the one that was desperate for some kind of connection because he is so isolated in his personal life from 
everything that happened to him with his girlfriend to the whole scene with Sarah to the friends that, I mean, that flatmate, dear God, I wanted to punch him. (laughs) Oh my God. Every single thing he said, it was like, why are you still living there, Ryan? Yes. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Just punch him and leave. Seriously, I I just couldn't get over what an ass he was. Yeah. And I wanted to show that level of like the amount of shit or, you know, the amount of grief that Ryan would put up with and still go along with it. Like would still just be like, oh, who cares? You know, and I wanted that to create that as a character so that when grief happens to him in other aspects, he just still goes along with it. So even he's like, oh, you know, I should really move out. And he's like talking about that to his best friend. And he's like, why do you still live there? And he's like, oh, you know, I just, I just don't have the confidence to leave. And I wanted to create that character that, you know, that eventually gets pushed to a point where he's like effectively snaps. And that's the moment when Aiton's discovered that he's snapped. Like Aiton's like, obviously, or Aiton and his people, we don't, we don't know if it's just Aiton. Uh, no. I've got other comments about that later, but we, we don't know whether... <laughs> Well, we know he's being watched. We know he's been he's perfect for the job that Aiton needs him to do. Like he's like ideal candidate. You know, he's he's weak, he's not like his other like workmates, which are probably, you know, like a lot different from him. And we just need to see that he goes along with his grief and <laughs> all this little bother from people to be That's the thing. Yeah. I did get an inkling at certain points, like when he was shaving and the and he was staring himself in the mirror and he just couldn't bring himself to do anything. Yeah. All I could think was he seems like someone who has an element of depression. Yep, yep, yep. But which wouldn't be surprising given everything he's gone through. Yes. But there's also that doubt in his head. Oh, my roommate knew that she was cheating on me. Yeah, and didn't say anything. And never yeah. said anything. Yeah. And then he seems very lonely. Yeah, he did. And I mean, I yeah. I, again, I was like, it's one of the worst versions of me. I, but I've never like I've. Like I've had relationships end and then gone. Like I, I had one relationship end when I was living in the UK, and she went back to New Zealand, and uh, we were sort of doing long, like dis- long distance thing. And then I was going to move back after one of my jobs finished up. And when I came back, she was like, "Yeah, oh, I've moved on." And so I went back to the UK, and it was just like, "What the hell?" And so I was like living because we'd only well, she was a New Zealand girl that we'd met in the UK, and everything that I knew just reminded me of you and it was just like living in this weird trapped environment where like if Aiton had shown up then and gone hey do you want to come with me and save the world I probably would have gone yeah sure <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> but you know it's like it's just hitting that lowest ebb but I feel like he was more of a continuation of that like I was never engaged to that girl she was never cheating on me or anything like that it's like that next level sort of like just horrible situation that is being applied to him that you know has has created him into the person that he becomes basically so yeah that's the thing it was with him more than any of the others it was it felt to me like it was how far can you push somebody who is already on the edge yes before they tip over yeah so then and he'd already been given that opportunity a year before yes yeah and so it was it was like Aiton had hit him at his lowest and he'd sort of basically from that year had sort of started like climbing back out of it and then he got knocked again and so that was the point at which it was like well this guy offered this to me a year ago and it didn't make any sense that time I didn't want to go with it and then since then my life's only got worse so surely this is another option that maybe I should take up now and so when Aiton comes and visits him the second time and sees him in the cafe and they start talking you know, he freaks out the first time I saw him and I was like, well, you would, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, of you, course you would. You, you would after the first time. And then, you know, when he sees him at the, after him and his mate George go to the movies, he sees him again, freaks out. And then the next day when he sees him, 
he, Aiden basically traps him and then just starts talking to him. And it's like, and another thing that I, ah, oh, another thing I want. Mm, okay, so <laughs> it, yeah, you're trying to think about how much to say, aren't you? I am, but at the same time, I, I want people to try and discover this the next time they read through it. But if if you're happy for me to spoil it, and even even in the spoiling section, but spoil something. Oh, I, do you feel confident in sharing this bit, or do you want people to just read it? Uh no, no, no. I, I feel confident, but like. Aiton has been visiting these people their entire lives. Everything that has happened to these people through their entire lives, from Olga, uh, Olga's sister dying. There's a very there's a scene which doesn't have a time or a place where we get a memory of Olga that she's dreaming. And you love talking about dreams, Ray. Uh, there's a scene where she's having a dream and yeah. she's remembering her sister dying. And so what I wanted to convey in that scene was that when she was young, she was playing with her sister, you know, and they were looking in a storefront and her parents were there. And then her balloon flew out of her hand and went onto the road. That was Aiton. Aiton made that balloon go onto the road. He made the truck, like, not appear to the sister. The sister went running out on the road and got hit by the truck. And so he created Olga at a very early age that when she just basically stands there, she does nothing. She watches her sister run onto the road and she just goes along with it. She doesn't try and stop her. She doesn't feel bad. Her parents are running out and trying to help her. And Olga's just standing there paralyzed by fear. Aiton created this childhood trauma in Olga so that later on when it happens, when this situation, when he gets her into the position that she's in, he's basically already created that character so that she would go along with everything they're doing. And it's the same thing with Ryan. He's, basically been going to him and almost subtly manipulating him through hypnotism, through subliminal thoughts, and he's doing the same with all the other characters so that when they get to a point that they're at their most susceptible, that's when he shows up. And he's basically manipulated them into that position. So if you read back through it, like when Juice goes home early from the army and catches his wife cheating on him, that was Aiton. He actually like manipulated it so Juice went home early. When John got fired from his job and like contracts started drying up and all that sort of stuff, that was Aiton. Aiton was manipulating these companies. He was like, you know, basically creating these characters so that when all this stuff happens to them. And an early example of that is when Anika is talking about how she's so good at languages and her dad was thinking back on Anika and how Anika would lie in bed and have these conversations. That was Anika having conversations with Aiton. He was visiting her and teaching her how to be really good at English. He was also the one that made sure that there was a movie of Kate Delacroix playing on the TV when uh, uh, when Anika was really early. He wanted her to become enamoured with the celebrity of Kate Delacroix so that when she comes into her life and says, hey, oh, you've won this competition, that Anika's like, oh, I'm totally going for it. That's my dream. That's absolutely my dream. So, yeah. When I was reading back, and it does make you question, did Aiton make everything with Sarah happen after the whole Ryan and his fiance. Yeah. Did he he'd have obviously had that element of control. Yeah. So he put her in his path yes. and knowing that she was a manipulative cow. Exactly. You're exactly right. So he's uh, I'm a big fan of Darren Brown. I'm a big fan of the amazing ability that he has. Uh, so much so that I've went to one of his live shows and he actually pulled me out of the crowd and read out my deepest, darkest secret just from my body language in front of oh, 1,500 God. people. Yeah, it was embarrassing, but yeah, I got photos of him afterwards and he's the man. But I, I, I love that the fact that our lives can be so completely changed and altered and manipulated by somebody visiting us and slowly altering it through just subliminal messages by putting people in our paths that wouldn't normally be there you know incurring and creating these events and so that's what that is the underlying current of this book so if somebody's going back and rereading it and seeing all these different aspects of stuff that's happened you can then realize that did Aiton control this did Aiton make this happen probably 
the answer is probably so he also so he also was in control of kate when she got her big break yep yeah absolutely so yeah they she even says that um if you look at those earlier photos of me i have no glow about me so he was that one he was making sure that like when she got her big break that she got in front of the right people at the right time but then one of her photo shoots she was like ethereally good looking you know to the point that you'd think she was a goddess and so from that she became uh even more famous and successful and the thing I love about Kate is that she is incredibly into Aiton, believes everything he says, believe, is almost like I, you know, like worship at the altar of Aiton, which I thought was quite interesting because her last name is Delacroix, which means of the cross, which means incredibly religious. So that was intentional as well. So all of these things you created with that end goal in mind, or did it just happen that way? naturally or did you well that's the thing I mean a lot of I was I've spoken with quite a few writers who've said oh well I I had a kind of rough plan and I just wrote but then you've got other writers who plan everything every single detail out to that end goal I'm unfortunately the latter and I end up writing way more than I need to for a plan right Uh, I had no plan I had an idea in my head of what I wanted it to be and I just started writing and then as I started writing I I'd it was like I was saying about the Eat, Pray, Love um, author. It was like it just came out. It was like it was already fully formed in my in my head. That being said, I had a completely different ending written where I basically I wanted it to be a like a, it was almost trolling the readers, and I'm glad I haven't done this because it was <laughs> I would have loved it, but I think everyone that would have read the book would have hated it. Where I wanted it throughout the entire book for them to be talking about the substance, and it starts life at the size of a full stop, and you know, and then it destroys the world, and then just compa- like repetitively throughout the book talking about how it starts life as the size of a full stop, and then I wanted the book to be them breaking into the building just as they were trying to test it for the first time and it was like a race against time to try and stop them testing and all this other stuff and then i wanted the book to abruptly end and then there to be a blank page on the next page except for nothing but a full stop right in the middle of the blank page thus yeah yeah which would have suggested they have created the substance and the substance completely destroyed the universe and are basically just trolling the author like we're trying trolling the trolling the reader into thinking what just happened and i was like that's not no it's not satisfying so there was that idea as an ending for a long time, and then as it went on, I basically came to the ending that I've written now, which I'm I'm pretty happy with. Which uh, I like. Some of my best feedback was, "Holy hell, Sam! Where's the sequel? I love the book. I, it's not an unsatisfying ending, but I need to know more right now. Damn it! Send me the book tomorrow. Bye." <laughs> yeah, but that's good feedback because it means that they read it and they were invested in it. Yeah, exactly. That's the part of me wondered if the beginning was the end. Mm, yeah, there, uh, there was, there was intention to do that, and there was like, and I was thinking of, I don't know, like, yeah, I did, I was gonna do that. I was gonna try and like create some sort of weird, almost tenant environment where they go back in time, and then they're actually the people at the oh. start, which would have been <laughs> exactly, which is roll your eyes material. And I was like, nah, this just doesn't work. But then, like, a part of me wants, if I write a sequel. There was a part of me that wants to basically tell the story of the first two attacks. So the one in Sydney and then the, the, the one that they got away with that no one knows anyone that was involved with. except We know that Stefan was involved. and Yeah, because he mentions it. Yeah, he mentions it. We know he was involved with the Sydney attack, but no one knows who those people are and what they've gone on to do or anything like that. So you might discover how like sort of tied and related to each other they are. Another part of me wants to... This is... Uh, this is... Oh, this is... This is the biggest Easter egg, and I don't know if anyone's going to notice it, because no one has. But basically, there's another Aiton character in the book. 
and part of me wants to yeah exactly and it's not obvious it's not obvious it's not a main character he's i don't even think he has a name but there's a part of me that's like it's in there if you're looking for it but it's also not and so there's a part of me that when or i write the sequel wants to look at the idea of well you know like we look at the environment and we have radical greens who are like we shouldn't do anything to do the environment but who cares about the economy and then we have radical corporations that look at the environment and go no let's just destroy because we need money and people need jobs and so part of me wanted the sequel to be well Aiton doesn't believe the stuff should get made but what about if we have another alien who's actually analyzing it and we realize that the universe is actually bigger than expected so imagine the universe is the size of new zealand or the size of the uk and we've got people in liverpool that are saying hey we should you know stop this being made but then you've got people down sort of your ways like someone in brighton maybe that are going no wait you guys don't know what the hell you're talking about we should let these people do whatever the hell they want and i was like thinking of that as a sequel of um conflicting views and uh, all that sort of stuff but no i don't know i don't know not fully in love with it as i said <laughs> that's the i mean for me the beginning was so cleverly done because i did have that Ooh, is this going to be no that won't be the story surely it won't be the story and then I started and then he started reading the introduction of the characters and it was so carefully and cleverly done because you start to get to know these characters you start to feel for them or not in the case of certain characters Lena yeah. um, <laughs> I just couldn't feel anything for her Good. I felt yeah. sorry for her in some ways but at the same time it's like yeah you're no you aren't you haven't got any emotion i mean the yeah. way she treats the others it's like you can tell she's detached so detached from them because she thinks she's so far above them yeah and then you've got obviously you've got damien used and you think i feel quite sorry for damien and used is just an asshole yeah 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 yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah but you can see why he became that way and then you've got that question with if Aiton knows everything that's going to happen and he's been manipulating this all along, he knows that that wasn't going to work before he even started because he'd already started recruiting the others 20 years beforehand anyway. Exactly, yep. Why didn't he just go for that one in the first place? Yep, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 basically he's forced into necessity in a lot of ways and so he's trying to do the best with what he's got and i believe that he like the sydney attack was easy to pull off because it was the first time no one expecting it whereas the boston attack was like and this is why i made it instead in america is because more people have guns you know more people are willing to shoot people so there's an awesome chance that basically it's not going to happen and so he knew he knew like the the most important one was taking down the neil root uh, research facility in uh geneva he knew that was like the end goal but he needed to get to a point where he could delay them long enough so that he could take it down. You know, there was he needed to take out the two main scientists and he needed to halt their research, halt the building of the structure, the, the super collider, which they're creating to create the substance. He needed to delay it in such a way. So even even if he knew what he did, that Boston was going to fail, he still did it anyway because it knew it brought him time. But at the same time, could he not, it does beg the question, could he not have manipulated the two scientists? Yeah, that would be too easy. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the thing. It was that you can see that there are so many different motivations at play. Yeah. And those scientists may well not have listened in initially anyway, or at all, yeah. because they were so driven to doing what they believed was right. Absolutely. And that's that was it. I, the idea of him appearing to them and trying to talk to them, I, I just, I ruled it out because I, I figured that they are both so, and I, I know people like this, they're just so 
scientifically focused on what they're doing that they don't see any other option other than what they're trying to do and i've got i've got friends that are scientists that are like that are like you know it's um and i've sat in meetings where it's like hey we've found the solution to this problem it's going to cost 40 million dollars to save these five properties from flooding it's like okay how much are those five properties worth three million why why don't we just buy them out oh yeah <laughs> it's like yeah, it's, that does come up though, doesn't it? Because they have that meeting. Oh, we need this money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how much do you need? Well, that again. Yeah, exactly. And you have some people saying, "Well, I'm not going to do that." Yeah, and I feel like they've just become so so solely focused. And like I think I even discuss it in the book is if you went to them and talked to them, what would they say? And they just ignore you. They've just they're so wrapped up in what they're doing that they're not going to listen to you. They they think they are about to become you know the the greatest invention the inventors ever you know they're going to be the most recognized scientists since einstein they feel like they've come up with something that is going to like revolutionize the planet and so they're so well driven and focused on this that they're just that's it that's them what inspired you with this one story apart from your fascination with religion yeah was there something apart from the interview that you mentioned yep so really the big motivation was the idea of religion and as we've discussed, but also celebrity culture and how obsessed we are with it and the links that we go to, to basically just like, you know, live our lives in the shadow of these celebrities and do whatever they say sort of thing. And I, I like that idea. And I, I also like, like as I mentioned, I was, I've tried writing books throughout my entire life and I just, it just hit me one day. Like I can't even remember. It was like a, you know how everyone talks about their eureka moments and stuff like that? I, I didn't have one. I just was just like, man, that'd be an awesome idea for a book. And then my wife basically was like, yeah, but you won't do anything about it. And I was like, oh, I'll show you. <laughs> You're not going to see me for a month. <laughs> so This is a conversation I've had with so many people when I've said, oh, that's a really good idea for a book. It's like, yeah, you're never going to write it, are you? Yeah, like, yeah. Probably not. And, and it's funny because I am one of these people that like there's a level of like, arrogance, some might say, but yeah, they're probably right. And it's like if somebody tells me I can't do something, then I'm totally going to do it. Uh, I used to smoke cigarettes. One day I came home and told my flatmate I'm never going to smoke ever again. And she just basically looked at me. She's like, you'll be smoking by the weekend. I haven't touched one since. Seven years. I haven't had a cigarette. Um, the same thing with our podcast. I was like talking about it for ages. And my wife said, fine, let's try and do one. And I was like, you don't want to be on one. Yeah, you're full of it. And she's like, no, nah, let's try one. And now we have a successful podcast. It's like, it's just... Yeah, I mean, similar to some of the motivations in this book, it's like when people tell you you can't do something, that's when you go and do it. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? It's, I mean, Annika's probably one of the good examples of that. Yeah. Because she's a girl in a society that favours men. Yeah. That doesn't give women the same advantages. And I'm not saying anything, trying not to say anything really, really bad. <laughs> but in certain societies, women do not have the same advantages as men women are not offered the same educational rights or anything else yeah. and she fought against all of that yeah probably with help yeah 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 her uncle was a but even uh, her yeah, yeah and even her parents are incredibly supportive of her which is very very rare because in that culture mm. girls get married off quite young yes absolutely and yeah i mean that's it's like she becomes a combination of the two. She becomes a combination of she's got these deep founded religious beliefs, but she also is enamored by celebrity culture and she just finds it amazing. So, yeah. But is that because of Aiton's 
manipulation. Yes. Is it because of Aiden's manipulation? That's the question. <laughs> See, there are so many questions you can say, well, did that happen because Aiden made it happen? Or was that just pure chance? Yep. And I will let the reader decide. <laughs> there are there are moments in which they're clearly obviously manipulated, but then there's other parts which yeah, I mean it's it's like we humans have a level of free choice. Like he's he can manipulate sound and noise, and admittedly, manipulating noise can have an incredible effect on someone's psyche. But at the same time, yeah, there's there's stuff that has to happen physically in order for something to happen. Yeah, I'm surprised they weren't all in a mental institute. Well, that was going to be the sequel. Was um, people like survivor grief? You know, <laughs> like what have we gone through and what are we doing? And then, yeah, that would That's be. I think they are pro- they are promised so many different things at so many yeah. different levels. I mean, Kate hasn't got unlimited resources, surely. No, she's yet not. they're promised all of these things, especially John. You can have all this. Here you go. Here's loads of money because that's all he really wants. His motivation is money. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, he's he hasn't had a job in a while, and it's it's fascinating, and it's sort of like an insight into Aiton is the part where John was like, it's almost like they knew how much money I needed in order to go along with this, and it's like they have like Aiton's calculated it to the point that um one of my friends while reading it actually mess- actually messaged me and said is eight in excel spreadsheet i was like what do you mean by that it was like well he knows like the outcomes of all these different things is he just is he a living embodiment of an excel spreadsheet and i was like this is the stupidest idea and i wish i'd thought of it because that is a great idea <laughs> <laughs> a computer program it's a computer program that's correct yeah there, there was there was ideas with that like he could be an ai or he could be a robot and i was like oh no no just just go with something something a bit more unique yeah well, that's the thing. I mean, it is an incredibly unique idea. I haven't read anything like it. And as I said, I read a, a great deal. I've got 87 unread books on my Kindle right now. I keep <laughs> yeah. on just buying more books. And yeah. I just got a lot of vouchers for Christmas. Oh, dear. Yeah. I've got I'll... enough. It's it's a, a spend. I have a spending problem when it comes to books. Yeah. Is there anything that you want to say to listeners about the book that will encourage them to well apart from please read it because it is really good (laughs) is there anything you want to say that you think will make people go yes i have got to go and get that uh i i love it (laughs) here we go here's his typical new zealand (laughs) humbleness of like having trouble self-promoting our book i was saying i love it i love writing it i like how well i've done with it i like what's happened with it i like the fact that people are reading it and yeah i mean if you enjoy giving a first-time author a chance then sweet yeah have at it i i absolutely love uh the amount of messages i've been receiving about it and people sharing it uh one of my favorite things now is people taking screenshots oh taking screenshots it's people taking photos of it in different locations and sending them to me which i'm pumping on my instagram which i think is just awesome i just yeah it's it's an easy action thriller book that I basically try to write it in the style of Dan Brown, but imagine if Dan Brown was really good, uh, you know, like actually like it wasn't just, it wasn't just a couple of Google searches put into a thriller. That was the idea of what I wanted to write, which is how I describe Dan Brown's book. So the chapter's real easy to get through. Uh, it's, you know, there's only one chapter that's really long or well, two chapters really, but if you've really read the book, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's it. Yeah. I mean, I, I love it. And the fact that you love it as well, Ray, it just makes, absolutely makes my day. It is, it is so good. It's, as you said, you, there, the inspiration, there are certain elements in here that are very Douglas Adams. Yep. And yep, I love yep. Douglas Adams too. So there is that element of a mystical, magical, but not quite. It's 
almost based in reality but there is a slight element of world creation and all the characters are fantastic you can like them or hate them it doesn't the, matter yes. because they are human yeah they are very very real and that is something i think a lot of us authors struggle with yeah because you either end up with a character that is too perfect or you end up with a character who is too flawed and you can't identify with either of them yeah whereas i went for a scattershot approach and just created so many characters that i'm like surely somebody's gonna see themselves in one of these people <laughs> i don't think that's the thing i don't think there's too many characters i mean you mentioned yeah, yeah. J, um george rr R. martin earlier i read the first of the um the first of the game uh, game of thrones books and i spent more time looking at the back to find out who the characters were than i spent reading the book yeah because there were too many characters it got confusing i must admit i yeah totally gave up halfway through the first time i tried reading it before the tv series was getting made and then when the tv series was made i was able to actually go back and understand what the hell was going on it was a lot easier yeah yeah, it was. Re- I found it really, really difficult. Whereas I don't think there's too many characters in this. Yay! That's because what I'm here. every yeah, but every single one of them has different character. They're not every single one the same. It's not like every single one's a vampire. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's not like every single one is glittery and manages to walk, uh, run faster than most people can actually travel in a car. These are all real. Yeah. But there is that element over the top of it that is slightly not, I wouldn't even say fantasy-based. No, it's it's hard for me to even come up with like a genre for this because it's, yeah, it's not fantasy-based, but it's not really sci-fi, but at the same time it kind of is. It's like techno thriller, is, uh, techno thriller, I think is the f- closest that'll come because it combines elements of like action and sci-fi and different stuff. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but isn't that, I was going to say, if you're talking that, Digital Fortress by Dan Brown. <laughs> <You're there. laughs> you Sorry, I have. I, I just had to look over there. I loaned my mum most of my Dan Brown stuff. Yeah. I have it on there because I can't criticise something if I haven't read it. Oh, thank God. I am from the same uh, line of thought. So I've seen the first Twilight movie. It sucks. Yeah. I've never se- <laughs> haven't seen the rest. Don't know if they're good or bad. Well, it's like I haven't seen the last three Harry Potters. Uh, and I saw Wonder Woman 84. Yes. I can comment on it, and I am I did comment on it in my last episode. <laughs> two thumbs down out of two. How disappointing. How it was. absolutely disappointing. It yeah. was disappointing. But that's the yeah. thing, I don't, I honestly don't like to say, oh, I hated that without having actually given it a chance, which is yeah. why I read some E.L. James, because I felt that it would be unfair of me to say, that is rubbish without having read some of it. Yeah, I can absolutely. now say that is rubbish having read some of it. <laughs> but I, d- I honestly don't think it's fair to judge something if you haven't read it. Absolutely. You're braver than me. I, I, I've never seen anything bad about Fifty Shades of Grey purely because I have not read it. So I can't comment on the writing or anything like that. But I can comment on the impact it's had on popular society, of course. But uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm ill-informed. Um, <laughs> that's the thing I honestly say go out and get this book because it is really really fun and it does make you think and I like books that make you think excellent oh I'm so happy to hear that so when's the next one coming out <laughs> yeah oh man 
it needs to, similar to this book it needs to be born out of necessity maybe if my wife leaves me then i'll have time to write this book but i don't oh, want to tempt fate no i I, wanna... I, w- I really wouldn't because <laughs> as we said earlier about the um if you were talking about earthquakes d- don't yeah. tempt fate this year yeah, because it's fate. only it's just true. started and they're already talking about tier five lockdown in the uk so anything could Good happen point. Good point. <laughs> Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll, I don't know. What's the earliest age you can send a child to boarding school? Maybe that'll help. Four. <laughs> four, Depends on where you are. It's four. Yeah. But, no, i tell you what, actually, that reminds me of a tiny bit of Good Omens. Yes. I think there are elements in there that are supernatural-ish, manipulation-ish, higher beings-ish. Yeah. And that is maybe the closest but I don't think it's not. It's a bad thing having no specific char- um, categorization on something because there's nothing yeah. wrong in being unique. Exactly. Cool. I like that. <laughs> so you said you're taking a break from the podcast for a month, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just we have a little recharge every year sort of thing um, because... Christmas, New Year's is the middle of summer for New Zealand, so we typically spend most of it, exactly most of our time outside in the sun or at the beach, enjoying life. I mean, I'm currently got a livery face at the moment from the last three days of partying. So, uh, yeah, weird flex, I know. New Zealand beat COVID. Congratulations, us. But um, anyway, nothing like rugby it in. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the uh, the podcast will be back at the end of the month. But if you are new to our podcast, we've got hundreds of episodes to listen to. So yeah. And they're really fun. So what have you decided what the first one's going to be when you come back? Uh, back to the Future, actually. We have uh, the lovely films of Amy Amy coming on to do Back to the Future. Uh, the We also have the Girl Crush pod. They are coming on to do a Sandra Bullock film that we haven't agreed on. And we might they haven't have... agreed on yet? Ooh. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking Bird Box. They, they threw some options at me, and I, I think I can handle Bird Box. I don't think I can handle While You Were Sleeping or any of the other sort of rom-coms they threw at me. So. Oh, I did a thing about While You Were Sleeping with a friend, and she said, you've ruined the film for me. Yeah, exactly. See, I, I think I'd do that. I think I'd do that. I think I'd pitch... The a... proposal's not bad, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that'd be cool. Um, And then, yeah, we've got episode 150, which I was going to do something special for, but... I'll run out of time to organise. Busy, busy man. <laughs> When's episode 150? In, in two episodes time. So there's 149 and then we're going to do something special for 150. Um, we're also doing an Ask Us Anything, which was quite cool. We got our Patreons to send through some questions that range from the, like, if you were making a movie of your life, who would you get to play yourself? Through to, would you let me uh, Fatal Attraction one of you? That was a very interesting question. <laughs> Fatal attraction, as in Bunny Boyle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As in, like, sleep with one of us and then uh, stalk one of us for quite some time and boil our bunnies if we didn't re- reciprocate the love. But, uh, hey, Emily Higgins from the Stasis Podcast. We love that question. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. I did actually have one more question for you regarding oh, yes. the book. Of course, yep. Yeah, and it was actually to do with film. Yep. As you are a film co- podcast, who would you envisage being the ideal cast for your book if it was made into a film oh see this is this is incredibly hard because i've already been looking at different ideas for this and already had chats about this uh john is a black englishman and amelie ford of john boyega it sort of just fits it just it just makes too much sense 
uh, for Ryan, a New Zealander, it would probably be some sort of Australian ex- actor. So probably Liam Hemsworth or somebody like that. Not Chris Hemsworth. You're not going to get the muscular, you know, confident one. You want the the other one. You know, the, the really <laughs> tall one. Yeah, yeah. Because Liam Hemsworth's that... taller than Chris. Mm, true. Uh, Olga, I was like, I don't really know any young blonde Russian actresses, but I want one that has that sort of like yeah kind of evil look to her face i was thinking florence Pugh. i love her she's in a lot of stuff lately and she's pretty popular and she does a russian accent in black widow yes true exactly oh man this is writing itself uh the older actor um you know the kate delacroix it's like who do i kate Beckinsale seems too perfect but at the same time angelina jolie would be amazing i could just i could picture angelina in that role aiton needs to be of the planet because i i describe him in a very nondescript way where it's like impossible to tell what race he is or where he is from and that, that's very much on purpose so that he can travel the world and just blend into wherever he is so doug miller oh who's the really really tall guy who is in star trek discovery and in um oh he is in a lot of guillermo del toro stuff. yes i know the one he was in pan's labyrinth yes as the monster yes, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah he'd be good yeah i'd like him the, the other option I had for him was Cliff Curtis, who's a Māori actor who's played Mexican, Iraqi, um, American, Māori, uh, Samoan. He's played everything. And I'm like, that's perfect. Cliff Curtis. Like, one of my mates suggested that. And I was like, that's a really good option. That's a really good idea. Uh, the others, yeah, the South African stuff, they can write themselves. Yeah. Chris Hemsworth is the older, as used, as the big South African. Big, dumb, blonde jock. Have him in the same movie as his brother. <laughs> Ouch. That's quite mean. Yeah. Big, dumb jock. <laughs> So what about Lena? Oh, Lena, yes, Swiss. Uh, oh, I had a great... Damn it. Brie Larson. I love Brie Larson. Brie Larson or Natalie Portman, because I, I love both. No, yeah, Natalie Portman has an air of superiority about her. She'd be perfect. And she's also Israeli. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, Natalie Portman. I've got to have Natalie Portman in a movie if I can. And yep. Annika? Uh, Frida Pinto. But Frida's probably a little bit too old now. We sort of need a young Indian actress. What about, is it, oh, Naomi Scott? Yes, perfect. Yes, I love her. She was in Aladdin, right? Yeah, she's she awesome. She was indeed. She's also in a load of, um, she was in Lemonade Mouth. She yep. was in quite a few Disney projects before she was in Aladdin. Yeah, no, her. She, yeah, absolutely. Nailed it. Well done. <laughs> As I said, I'm kind of a movie geek myself, so. Yeah, you should be doing this. <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. These are your creations. So yeah. I'm trying to think who else you need. Damien. Yeah, I need dark and brooding at the same time, like qu- quite tall and muscular. Because that's one of the things they say. You says, put your shirt on. I don't want any competition. I found that quite funny. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's the hardest one. Damn it. Young Ryan Gosling? No, he's, he's too soft. Um, Army Hammer? Nah. I mean, Hammer would be better as uh, used, actually, and Chris Hemsworth as Damien. That would make more sense. I'm given a choice. I know which one I'd pick. Yeah. Yeah. And what about Stefan? Stefan? Yeah, see, he is so unassuming, and you need an actor like him that it just blends into the background. You barely notice he's there. Oh, I remember him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. People do. They they remember when he makes a point. Ah, oh, man. Oh, this is hard. So hard. 
What are your ideas, Ray? I've given up. <laughs> Let's see. Well, Stefan, you see, I always envisage him, as you said, he is kind of in the background. He's almost like a butler. Yeah. In many ways. He's sub- subservient, but almost because he's been... So he has been traumatized by everything that's happened. Yeah. So let's see. Need someone European as well. I was thinking one of the Skarsgård boys, but I can't tell which one. You see, I think that he'd probably be Alexander more than the younger brother, because I think the younger one's too young. Yeah, true. Yeah. And Alexander, he's stunning to look at, but he can blend in as he proved in... um, Oh, I'm trying to think. He's been in so many things where he's just blended into the background. Yeah, yeah. And the only thing that he really stood out was in True Blood. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Alexander Skarsgård, perfect. <laughs> there you go. So you've got your cast. You just need to now get a, a film studio to buy it. Yeah, well, luckily I live in New Zealand and like Peter Jackson's five houses down from me and Taika Waititi's about seven houses down. So I'll just go door knocking until... <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I saw that... Um, Peter Jackson's currently working on his hidden um his found footage of the Beatles. Oh right. And let it be. Oh wow. Oh, it true. looks stunning from what I've seen. Oh cool. Oh, I don't know that. Well done, you've told the movie nerd some news he didn't know about. That's amazing. Yeah, it's it's on Disney at the moment. Their preview they've given a preview of the found fo- of the footage that they found. Oh cool. That was recorded while they were recording Let It Be, the album. That sounds amazing. That sounds awesome. It, it does look fantastic. I mean, Peter Jackson, it's quite funny because I absolutely hated the Hobbit book, the Hobbit films. <laughs> yeah, you and everyone else. Yeah. It only took me, it took me less time than the first film to read the book. Yeah, it's amazing. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> it's unnecessary. It was like, oh, here's loads of New Zealand scenery. Yeah. Because we want three films. <laughs> it, it was it was legitimately like that. It was like, hey, it's been ten years since Lord of the Rings. How are we going to do another ad for New Zealand tourism? Okay, let's just make. Yeah, I was going to say it. It really was as though New Zealand tourism had paid for the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, there is that. I mean, it did put us on the map. It does look stunning though. But yeah, Hobbit sucked. Oh, I'll said about that. The better. Yeah, PJ, it's 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 amazing because you watch those Lord of the Rings films and it's just like, how did you make these? You know, it's like how how are they such an accurate representation of the book while at the same time does away with some of the stuff that doesn't need to be in there and it's just like this is so phenomenal and then you and creates characters that aren't in it yeah exactly don't forget that bit and then and then you watch the other ones and you're like why <laughs> <laughs> i know it's that entire the um the smaug one i haven't actually seen all of them all the way yeah. through because all i could think was after watching the first one it was like um i could have read the book yeah yeah I did read the book. I don't think I saw the last one. I think I watched the first two and then just was like, oh, this isn't for me. <laughs> I don't think it took me as long as those films last to read <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Oh, that's phenomenal. But that's the, there are so many amazing directors out there. Yeah. And there are so many amazing books. It makes you wonder why they keep on remaking things. Yeah, I know. And that is one of my deep philosophical debates, which is a question that we all often have on our podcast, is like in 30 or 40 years, what are they going to be making? If there's no original content coming out now, then what are they going to remake in 30 years? It's just going to... I wouldn't mind if they remade The Changeover. Yeah. Because that sucks. Yeah, true. It's one of my favourite books. Yeah. Margaret May's The Changeover. I have been, I've read it every year, at least twice. Wow. Since I was 11 years old. Oh, yeah. I love it. I've got three different copies of it. That's crazy. I love it that much. And they made a film of it. 
in New Zealand. Yeah. And I wanted to cry. <laughs> Not because it was good, but because it was really bad. Oh, no. I, I can't say I've seen that. It was disappointing because it was such a an impact. It had such an impact on me. And it is about New Zealand culture. Because, of course, yeah. she's one of your, probably one of your biggest, I wouldn't even say she's an export because she didn't travel. But she was one of your, from my perspective, one of your best writers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 totally. So that was sad. Oh. But they could remake that and I'd be quite happy. But I probably won't be allowed. I probably won't be around in 40 years. Yeah, true. So. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what they should be doing, though, is they should be remaking crap movies. That's what they should be remaking. Stop trying to get the rights to remake Back to the Future and stuff like that. You need to actually just oh, remake God, no. really good films. I mean, really bad films and make them into really good films. That's the thing. There are so many really awful films out there that they could make into something fantastic. Yeah. Especially with the technology they have these days. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Just leave leave the Matrix alone. <laughs> well, they are making Matrix 4 at the moment, aren't they? They finished. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of the ones that they're releasing, the Warner Brothers have announced, is going to be released on streaming services on HBO Max. Yeah. Uh, alongside Dune, there's another book that's getting a very, it had a very crappy film and is now being made into another movie. Yeah, the question is, is it going to be any better? I've got faith in, um, what's the director's name? Villeneuve. Yeah, Villeneuve. Yeah, I've got faith in him because he's made some phenomenal films. That being said, I, I don't know what, I I hate Timothy Chalamet. I don't know what it is about him, about him that just irks me the wrong way, but he's just annoying. I'm trying to think if I've actually seen him in anything. He was in the Little Woman film that Greta Gerwig did recently. He was in that. No. And he's in Call Me By Your Name. And then there was something else I saw him in that he was an absolute dickhead in. Oh, anyway. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's <laughs> ruined me. It's like some some coming-of-age teen drama. Oh, it was Ladybird. That's right. It was Ladybird. He was in Ladybird. And he was just such a prat. I was like, ugh. Wasn't that another Greta Gerwig? It was another Greta Gerwig. Gerwig. Yeah, it was a directorial debut. Yeah. Haven't seen that either. Yeah, you're not missing much. I As I said, I don't think I've seen anything with him in. So <laughs> You're doing well. I know. Well, I do that occasionally. I will pick a um, an actor that I don't watch. I haven't seen anything with Tom Cruise in since The Outsiders. Oh, I can't stand him either. No. <laughs> I... I feel really bad because people say, oh, but he's done this and it's really good. And it's like, I can't watch you in anything. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you're my wife. I, I mean, I can't stand him. I, I did like... There is a subtle nod to Scientology in my book when Kate says there's all these religions in Hollywood and I picked the right one. <laughs> I was like, that was my little dig at Scientology. I was like, yeah, screw mm. you guys. But yeah, he's he's just odd. Yeah, he is. And I found it very, very interesting. But Neil Gaiman grew up in um, Scientology, I believe. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. In Sussex. Wow. Their HQ for the UK is in Sussex. Far out. I never knew Neil Gaiman. Oh, that's Gaiman. I believe so. If you look at his biography, you'll see a whole load of stuff. Wow. That's amazing. I love a lot of his stuff. He he was an influence. American Gods was an influence on this book. I'll definitely say that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I You could see it because there are... American Gods for me is that perfect melding of modern life and religion. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Shame about the TV series. Yes. <laughs> Whereas the Good Omens TV series was amazing, and I'm so glad they stuck at just one. Yeah, I haven't seen that. I've, I've got to get onto that. That'll be this afternoon. It's fantastic. It really is. But anyway, I am going to say thank you so much for coming on. And are you going to plug anything? Yeah, sure. <laughs> what about where you where they can find you on social media? Yep. <laughs> yeah, of course. 
Yeah, that'll do. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Movie Reviews In, or you can just search Movie Reviews in 20Qs. Alternatively, I do have a private uh, Twitter account, which is at Surly Ham, which I don't really do much on, but you can, aside from retweet my podcast, you can also find me on that. And yeah, Facebook as well. Um, Instagram, if you just search out Sam Hurley Compliance, I do have a new Instagram page, which I've started purely for my book, Movie Reviews in 20Qs. It also has an Instagram page, which I occasionally update. But yeah, if you want to listen to our podcast and hear me be a lot more comedic <laughs> and a lot less insightful, then you can find our podcast, Movie Reviews and 20 Qs on all the major podcasting platforms. And yeah, as I said at the start, if you want to get a copy of my book, you can just search out Sam Hurley Compliance and find it through your page of choice. So you don't have to go to Amazon and make old Bezos any richer. You can buy it, find it anywhere. Yeah, He doesn't need the money. I do. Book it, buy it from someone else. <laughs> No, I get it anyway. I don't care. Yeah, just... yeah I was going to say get it from Amazon if that's the only recall. If that's the only option you have. Absolutely. Yep. That's a that's a good question though. Who would read it if you had it on Audible? Oh, 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 Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> Why not? I was going to say if you want to hear his radio voice, listen to a show called Cabin Pressure. It's what he did before Sherlock. All oh, right. Yeah. And he's comedy in that because it's it's actually a comedy show yeah maybe him I, I was saying him because i like there's a there's a bbc thing or something where he can't say penguins god it's hilarious he calls them penguins <laughs> or something like that and it's like what are you saying is that english yeah exactly it's pretty funny <laughs> well this has been fantastic i love i i really do love talking to people about their books because you can see how much passion goes into creating them in the first place yeah I don't think there's there are so few things that are personal to an individual and when you create characters and things that is one of them yes absolutely so thank you so much for talking to me about this because as I said I'm really really loving it and I've got five percent of the book left to go and it's like I really want to know what happens next (laughs) you need to you need to finish it tonight because I I, oh I will believe me (laughs) I will finish it tonight oh that's what I want to hear Anyway, thank you, Ray. Thank you for having me on. I've been dreaming about this for years and years. So to be on now is, is, is awesome. Well, technically years. Technically, yeah, we've just crossed New Year's. Technically years. So yeah, there we go. We have indeed. We have moved into 2021. Please be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't be horrible like last year. We can't cope with another one. Yeah. Oh, let's not tempt fate. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's like, what can I say without? Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for coming on. It's been really good fun. And also, honestly, go and buy this book because it is really, really good. Oh, thank you. And then post about it on Twitter. Yes, send me photos of it in weird places. Oh, that's what I love. I was, the the um, the benchmark at the moment was a photo from Los Angeles uh, against Nicolas Cage's star on the Walk of Fame in Hollywood. That was the... I saw that one. Yeah, I'm very proud of that one. Thank you, Emily Huggins. You rock. Yeah, we currently haven't got that option over here. Yeah, I know. Uh, Do it safely. (laughs) Don't listen to me and go out and get yourself a disease or anything. Just do it safely. (laughs) Don't break any tier rules, in other words. Absolutely correct, yes. And then as soon as you can go out, go to the Pennines. Exactly, yep. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. And I look forward to hearing about the next one. Cool. Whatever it happens to be, whenever it happens to be. And of course, don't forget, movie reviews in 20 Qs is back at the end of January. Correct. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I love this. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed recording it. I release a new episode every week. 
this was a special, there will be a new episode this coming Thursday. So if you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and post a review on one of the many podcatchers out there like iTunes or Podchaser. You can follow me on Twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs or over on Facebook at not before coffee podcast. Well, I need another cup of coffee as it's Saturday afternoon now and I definitely haven't had enough. So I'm going to head over and put the kettle on. Until next time, this is me saying farewell. <laughs>